Making love a verb, right? You know, as we went through last week, we talked a little bit about relationships, and we're going to talk about relationships for about three more weeks, probably, today and a couple more. And uh, last week when we left, we said we, we, are, we are working on looking toward in our lives making love a verb in our lives. And people ask me all week, like, what does that mean? I don't understand that. Well, we'll get to it in just a minute. But the thing is, really seriously, it's easy to fall in love. I have been in love. Being in love isn't a verb. See, we fall in love with a lot of stuff. I love my car, right? We say that all the time. Like, I love my job, or I love my, my coat, or I love my pants that I have, or I love my dog, or I love my... I have a little guy named George. He's a little red monkey. And I love George. He's a little stuffed, not a real one. He's a little stuffed red monkey that my mom gave me when I was five. And I've had George my entire life. And I love George. He's fantastic. I think he's just the greatest. But there, there's no real verb thing going on there. He just means something to me. See, it's, he's sentimental to me. My pants, I, I'm not, I'm not I, you know, I, I, I like them. But, I, you know, am I really, am I, am I really interested <laughs> in 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 showing my great favor toward my pants not particularly i just want them to work and not fall off i want them to not split in the back when i sit down i mean i I, there's just some i just got some small requirements that's all i've got you know and in our life what we have to do in all of our relationships now we focus mainly on the marriage relationships as we go through this week and next week and then we'll introduce a little bit more on that last week as we go that direction but you know we, we focus on our marriage relationship because in our marriage relationship we fall in love but to stay in love that takes a little action and today the world has never made it easier to fall in love we said that last week you know there's 1500 dating sites all over the world all you have to do is put in your information some old picture of you you know nobody puts <laughs> You know, <laughs> I, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, you know, something that, and, and then we'll match you up with somebody. And we've had people that have, that have, that have really, truly gotten together in this church because of that. So I'm not really necessarily poo-pooing the idea. What I am saying is that it's never been easier to fall in love, but it's the staying in love part that we have lost in a, in a no, number or numerous set of generations that as the world has progressed, we have, nest, we have taken marriage and we've made it not a covenant but a contract. And a contract you can get out of very easily. You just fill out the right paperwork and you're done. And we have trained the young people who have come after us in all of these generations that yes, there is somebody out there for you. And maybe this person that you're with isn't the one. And if you get another one, maybe that one will be the one. And then after that, maybe there'll be another one. But eventually, if you choose well enough as you go... See, you're going to end up with the right one. That's not true. Marriage is a covenant. It was designed by God to put two people who were individuals together to become an us. And last week we talked about that, Adam and Eve being the first us. In Genesis in chapter 2, it actually said, God, now think about this, because here's the deal, and I didn't really touch on this really a lot yet, but God was just in the midst of creating all of these things, and he said, it's all good. He was excited about his creation. He was a, there was no sin that had entered the world. Everything was great. He actually said it's very good. I mean, he was pumped up. He's high-fiving the Holy Spirit and Jesus, and they're like, they're getting down because it's good stuff. He's just created all of this. But he notices in the midst of the creation that man is alone. And what does he say? Out of all the good and out of all the very good, he notices man's by himself, and he said, it's not good that man be by himself. It's not good that man be alone. In your life, relationally, it's not good that we are alone. And I'm getting into like two weeks from now, but but the world has really turned relationships completely inward in our lives. I'm fighting to keep all of my relationships out there. The last thing we want to do in the world is turn inward. See, we end, up, we end up taking the front porch away, we put a back porch on. See, we walk in the neighborhood, and I'm guilty of this, I walk at night. Why? So nobody will talk to me. Because I talk to people all day. We say this. I mean, I've got people on my face all day. The last thing I want to do is go talk to more people. See, we, we, we will retreat to the solitude and the comfort and the coziness of our nest and our home. And even within our home then, what we've done is we try to break it down into pieces and parts. You go to different places and you go to different homes and you see them on TV or you see them in the magazines and you like the ones that have like a movie room that's way set away that's quiet. And this one has a nice basement over here. 
but it has a great room over here for the kids and a great room over here for the dad and a great room over here for the mom. Why? So everybody can kind of just have their own space. But if you're not getting together relationally with other folks, it's not good. God said so. It is not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve, and then he took two eyes, and he made them an us. They were the first us, and he put them together. And it said, the two shall be one. So today as we talk, we're going to talk uh, about making love a verb and about what we do in our life and how we do that and how we proceed. You know, last week we talked about desires and wishes and dreams and all of those things that are, that are in this box, the things that you come to, to that altar with in your heart about what you think marriage is going to be like and, you know, whether he's going to have flowers every day as he walks in the house or, you know, whether you're going to have the meal provided for him and his slippers at the door and, you know, I mean, those are, those are silly ones maybe that I, you know, we just are kind of stereotypical, but... You, you have some of those dreams, desires, and wishes when you come into marriage, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's when we take them out and we put them in a box called expectation where it becomes a problem because now I'm saying, I expect this of you, and my happiness, me showing unconditional love to you is out the window. My happiness and me showing love to you at all relies on the, you meeting these expectations in my life. And I say, well, God gave me all of these expectations. Yes, but he also gave them to you. And he promised that he would be the one who grants you your desires and your wishes and your dreams. That if you feed on his faithfulness, if you delight yourself in the Lord, then he will bring those things to pass. Not put them over here in an expectation bucket and, and expect your mate to do that. And next week we'll begin to talk about how you fill that gap between that promise and that thing that, that we say at the altar and really what happens when you go home. See, what do we do in the middle? What, what, how, how, do we get, how do we bridge that gap? Because there is a gap. There is this place where you're trying to love them with all of your heart, but they're not doing anything that kind of comes, you know, what, where, do, where do I go and what do I do? Today we talk really and start in, in, in Ephesians, and we, we start it, you know, in chapter 5, and, and I asked, you know, last week, go home and think about it. The question that I asked you last week was really truly, does your mate owe you anything? Because if your mate owes you something, if there's something in the expectation box, you're going to set up a bar. And that bar is set just higher than they can ever attain. Because if they do it, they should have. See, if they reach that, if they, if they meet that expectation, they don't even get any gratitude for it because they should have done that. We sh you should be doing that. And if they don't even come close to that, well, there's all kinds of heck to pay. And we get moody and we get grumpy and we get pouty. And we start treating each other wrongly. There's no unconditional love. It's conditional. If you meet my expectations, I'm going to at least show you some kind of love. But if you don't, there's trouble. And if you do make it to that expectation, you're, you should have. Way to go. And really, truly, in those kind of situations, that, that's, a, that's a difficult place to be because that's not covenant. It, when you live in a world of expectations, you kill intimacy and romance in your relationship, in your marriage relationship. There is none. You know, I shared our example of the inside-out laundry, and apparently that hit home with many of you. I had no idea laundry was such a hot-button topic in the church today. But we're going to have to have a group for that, some kind of support group that's going to help us get through. <laughs> It'll be a small group we'll start in January. <laughs> Hi, I'm John. Yeah. Hi, John. Yeah. I'm addicted to right-side-out laundry. It bothers me when it's inside out. <laughs> and you know what? This week, the laundry was not right side out. It was still inside out. Good stuff, but I loved it. I loved every moment of it, folding it, taking it back. Yeah, it's good stuff. But here's the thing. It's this idea that says, I, you know, and I've had people say this all the time. When, when they come for marriage counseling, you'll never find two people more in love. You'll never find two people more excited to be together most of the time. Just about 99% of the time. Every now and then you shake your head and scratch your head and think, I don't even know why you two are together. But anyway, <laughs> most of the time they just, what, I say stuff like, what would you like to, to have happen, you know, on that day? Or what, what is your desire? Or what is your dream for this wedding? And I don't care, whatever he wants. <laughs> you know, and I ask him and he's like, whatever you would like, dear. And then I tell him, okay, right there. Now, listen, okay? There's going to be a day you're not going to feel like that anymore. It'll probably be Thursday. 
You're married on Saturday. I'll give you five days. But there's going to come a day where that's not going to go. And all the stuff we're going to talk about up here at the altar and all the things that I'm going to read, we're going to read today out of Ephesians 5. All these things that, that we say, I do. I mean, they just bat each other's eyes and there's tears. And when you're doing a wedding, it's fantastic because a lot of the time you have to kind of flow with it and you have to kind of deal with the people as, they're, as they're, their emotions begin to get involved. And they, they really, truly love each other so much that there's this, they just, they just can't hardly handle the moment and they're so excited. And I say, wait till Thursday. Because okay, that's a great day, but you're going to go home. Now, what you need to do is remember what you just told me today. See, remember how right now you prefer the other. Remember right now how much you care about them. Remember right now, see, how much you're willing to say, I don't care whatever she wants. It doesn't matter to me. Whatever he wants, I'm okay with that. And really, truly, they mean that. And then comes Thursday. And so when, when, when I've married folks, and even ones I haven't married, you know, I come back to that day a lot when I sit down with them on Thursday or whatever day that is. I sit down with them and I say, hold on, let's go back. Remember that day. And see, as you begin to talk about those things, that's when the, the tears begin to come. Because in, in their life, something happened from that moment where they said, I submit my whole entire being to you. They both did. It was mutual submission in that moment and in that time. But then life has beat that out of them. And we're going to talk about that today. See, it's never been so easy to stay in love or to fall in love. Falling in love takes a pulse. But staying in love takes a plan. Anybody that has a pulse will fall in love. You fall in love with all kinds of stuff, like I said earlier. Cars. I just love that TV show. No, you don't. I mean, you really, truly, like, that's, that's like some kind of, no, you, it's, it's enjoyable. You like it. See, we, we use that word all the time. I'm not talking about just staying together. I'm not just talking about saying, you know what, we made it to 20 years. We made it to 30 years. We made it to six weeks. I'm not just talking about, you know, what you made it to as far as staying together. I'm talking about staying flat out in love with each other. Where every time, no matter, I watch my grandmother and my grandpa. I, they've been married like 100 years. How much, 60 years? 69, 69, 69 years. That's like an eon. I have no idea how long that is. But when my, my grandma lights up when my grandpa talks to her or says things to her or does things, she, when she's talking about my grandpa, her little eyes just flutter. But they've been married 69 years. Some of us aren't even close to being 69 years old. 69 days is seeming like forever. But here's the deal. You can be that kind of in love after 69 years. The goo-goo-ga-ga, the butterflies in your stomach, the can't wait to hear your voice. But it takes really truly in your life making love a verb. It takes the other two, but, you know, I mean, it's just all part of the package. But you got to understand your, your, your words and your thoughts and your actions, the things that are going on on the inside of you, they have to, that's part of making love a verb in your life. They have to say, I love you. Not just your words, not just your thoughts, but your thoughts, your words, and your actions. There's a key in Joshua 1.8. It says that if you meditate the word of God, if you speak the word of God, if you live or act the word of God, you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. I'll tell you that scripture holds true in this particular instance as well. If you love your wife with your thoughts, if you love your wife with your words, if you love your wife with your deeds, your life will be prosperous and you will have great success. No different on the other side, the woman for the man. It's true. The principle that's there in the word works in your life in that area. Your marriage isn't supposed to be survival. It's supposed to be vibrant. See, it wasn't about getting to the end of the book. It was about living joyfully throughout the pages and the chapters in the book. Everything doesn't go right. Things don't always go the way you had planned or anticipated. But I will tell you this, we know this in our Christian walk, we understand this in our walk with Jesus, that man, things don't happen, but I still love him. Things don't go the way I want to, but I still serve him. Things don't happen the way I thought they were going to happen, but I still give my life to him. 
But when it comes to an individual, when it comes to a human being, and them not meeting those expectations that we have put on them in that relationship, we check out. We check out emotionally. We check out with our words. We check out with our actions. And de- I'm not going to do that. They're not meeting any of their part of the bargain. Why am I going to do any of those kind of things? Well, how about us when we're walking in sin and Jesus corrects us or convicts us by the power of the Holy Spirit, but loves us anyway and says, it's okay, I'll forgive you of that. See, there's a place there and there's a time. And we're going to go to Ephesians in chapter 5. And I ask her to put it up in the, in the New International Version, the NIV. And look at this because we each have a part to play in this. And depending on if the people you're marrying are churched or not, I've just, I've gotten to the point now where I've learned enough that I will tell you what you think. I always thought that was odd. I want to give you the opportunity to come up with your own thing and make up your own mind. Anymore, when I'm marrying people, I want to get right down to the nitty gritty and I'm going to tell you what the truth is and I'm going to tell you how to be successful. And if you don't particularly like that, well, there are lots of places and lots of people around who can marry you and take care of you. But I love you enough and care about you enough. In the beginning, when I began to marry people, I would talk about this verse. And it says, you know, we start usually in verse 22. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. There's nothing that gets an unchurched young lady more fired up and her mother and then the the, uh, the groom's mother and then the aunt and everybody else that's in the place. They all start taking offense for this poor gal who's about, you know, so I always bring that up in the rehearsal so that everybody knows we're all here together. Look, I'm going to say this. And I mean this, and this is truth. But listen to this. This isn't a knock on woman. This isn't woman, submit thee to me. This is, hey, we submit to each other mutually in this relationship. This isn't a one-way street. Because every now and then the guy will sit up straight when I start to talk about this. And I'll say, your turn's coming next, pal. Sit down. (laughs) Because it says in, in the verse before that, verse 21, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We think that I'm going to submit to you if you're good to me. I'm going to submit to you if you're nice to me. I'm going to submit to you because that's what a good husband does. Huh? uh It says you submit yourselves as reverence to Christ. Because you love him, you will submit to her. Because you love him, you will submit to him. See, it's because you love Christ It's because you have a relationship with him. It's because you're right on that first relationship level, the highest priority in your life. Because of that, you will. What that does really truly as you submit yourself to that other person is it shows that you love God, you love Christ, and you're going to honor him by serving her. And if we can't do that, then we are dishonoring him. See, if we can't submit one to another in this life, if we can't do that in our life and in our world, but you don't know my story, you don't know what's going on, well, I bet I've heard a lot of stories like it. You hear a lot of stories in this particular profession. You're going through things. I understand that and I know that. It's difficult when the other person isn't here because they're back to back. They're not going to go face to face with you. Those times are difficult, but that doesn't change what God has called us to do. To give ourselves, to submit ourselves. In verse 22, it says, Wives, submit, because he is the most fantastic, wonderful, nice, honest, kind guy you've ever met. No. (laughs) Doesn't say that. It says, Submit only if he is kind to you, loving, and meets all of your expectations. No, no, doesn't say that either. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. See, we understand that relationship. He has taken the relationship that we have with him, the one that we understand, the one that we care about most, the one that we have this this idea that says, man, I cannot screw this one up. I mean, I may mess up all of these out here, but I can't mess this one up. He's taken that one, and he said, now be like that with them. And we're like, I only got one place in my life where I can like, I mean, now come on. See, because a lot of the times we're with God, we're like, come on, man, I'm really putting myself out here, but I'll do it anyway. Come on, God, you're asking me to do, I I don't know if I can, okay, I'll do that. You're asking me to to love even when I don't feel like loving, but but I'll do it. See, I'll help this person who, I'll help somebody who needs help because God told me to do that. But then I'll come home and I'll act all grumpy and mumpy because she didn't meet my expectations. See, that's that's not serving 
your wife. And that's not serving your family as Christ came to serve the church because that's what he says next to the men. He says, husbands, in verse 25, love your wives if they're pleasant and they, and they cook well. <laughs> love your wives if, if they're just the most wonderful person in the world and they sing and they, they twirl and they bring your slippers and they, they never do anything wrong. <laughs> love your wife if... See, it doesn't say any of that. It says, love your wife as Christ loves the church. So men, we're not out on, uh, from underneath this. It does say in the beginning, it says submit to each other. Then it says wives submit. But it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. See, Christ gave himself up. He came to make us his priority. He chose to come to this earth to make our interests and the things that we care about and to make us as individuals his priority over his own. And what he's saying to us here is, you need to go and do that with your wife. If you want to make love a verb, then you make her your priority. I mean, you make her dreams, her wishes, her desires. Not expectations. They're over here where they're supposed to be. But even if they're not, you make them. So you make those your priority in your life. It doesn't cost much. We always say, oh, it costs, you know, three bucks. Go to Rubia. Rubia Flowers down to Lovey. It's three bucks. Best three bucks you ever spent. Right? Cute little flowers, little package. It's three dollars. You do that three bucks. Okay, three bucks, really. Three bucks. That's a coffee. Okay, don't get coffee that day. Go get flowers. And just take them home. Well, I don't feel like doing that. Well, okay, do it anyway. Do it past feeling. Just do it. Why? Because that's making her a priority. Oh, my wife doesn't like flowers. That's what I used to, Elizabeth, I used to say that. Because Elizabeth used to, she used to say, you know, I would get flowers. And she's like, oh, that's nice, honey. But that's a lot of money. Well, three bucks isn't a lot of money. I'm not buying 14 dozen roses and filling the apartment with them or anything. I'm just, I mean, I'm just getting three to three. Because I found after a while when I didn't get flowers, it really did matter. <laughs> she really did like that. <laughs> just part of that, you know, communication thing. You just got to hit me in the face with it. Just take a thing. Just hit me in the face with it, and I'll do that. I'm, I'm simple. Guys, aren't, we're not complex. We're not thinking about a lot of stuff. <laughs> just a couple of things, you know, and it's real simple. <clears throat> and those flowers help on some of those things. So just, you know, figure it out yourself, but three bucks goes a long way. So it's, it's just, again, my mother's here, so it's odd. But you want to thank Jesus. Now get that. You want to thank Jesus for his sacrifice you, you want to say, God, I love you. I want to show you how I, I love you. I want to thank you for all that you've done for me. Then love your spouse. Like make it a verb. Like, like spend your life trying to make their life the most exciting and wonderful place they could ever be. And the first thing we have is like, what about me? It doesn't say in here anywhere I can think about me. It doesn't say in the word anywhere that I get to think about me outside of that relationship. So why do I think that inside of this relationship I get to think about me? But I will tell you this, you make it about her, he makes it about you, it'll all be about you. See, that's staying in love. That's, that's, that's falling in love all over again every day. It's that kind of mutual submission and unconditional love that builds the intimacy and the romance that you're looking for and seeking in your life and in your marriage. And this is what it does. And this, this is a... Pastor Pam has said this for years and Pastor Bill and, and lived it out really truly o- over all of these years. But living your life this way is important because what it does is it takes the intangible love of God and it makes it tangible to us. See, God wants us to feel his love tangibly in our life. Like he's saying, love your spouse. See, submit to each other as unto Christ. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. In John 15, in John 15, it says, you know, the new commandment that I give you, love each other as I have loved you. Then it goes on and it says, no greater love does a man have than to lay his life down for his friends. And Jesus laid his life down for us. But we can't feel that tangible love that he has for us. It's intangible. But with your mate, you can. Pastor Pam shared that story and God spoke that to her years ago before she was married to Bill God had spoke to her and told her that that this man will love you like I love you. 
and she shared about it for years, and you know her testimony, and you've heard, heard parts of that and pieces of that, that she would feel the intangible love of God through what? The love that her husband has for her. Because he loves her as Christ loves the church. That she can feel protected, that she can feel safe, that she can feel taken care of, that she can feel loved, that she can feel adored, that she can feel valuable, that she can feel all those things that we know that, that Jesus pours into our life she can feel those things because her husband pours those things into her life. And the other way around. See, I know God loves me and that he cares for me and that I could be secure and that Jesus is my everything because I have a wife who has poured her life into me. And I understand now on a human level what that relationship's like on a spiritual level. And part of the problem is we've never been able to make that connection here on earth with the spouse or the person that God has put us with to be closest with. More often than not, we become enemies in our marriage and not friends because we're each seeking, many times, our own way. Now, if you'll turn to Philippians in chapter 2, this will hopefully make a little difference. See, Jesus showed his, his love for us by laying down his life. Physically, once and for all, he laid it down. In our life, I get, I get, to, I get to love Elizabeth that way every day. <laughs> You're lucky. I mean, I get, to, I, <laughs> I get to lay my life down for her every day. Now, we don't have like... I, I, we, we, we make mistakes and we have days and we have moments, but they're very few and far between and those moments are very short and they're very quick because we have matured in this process and we have both chosen. See, we have both chosen and understood that my submission to her and her submission to me is more about my love for God and her love for God than it is actually about our love for each other. So you don't need to say that again. My love for her and her love for me is more about truly my love for God and her love for God than it is about our love for each other. See, I love God so much, I will love her with all of my heart. She loves God so much, she will give herself to me and love me with all of her heart. That we have purposed in this life, really truly, to try to make the other person all God wanted them to be. Not by correcting them, not by fixing them, but by loving them. See, we tell people all the time when we witness and when we share with people who are unbelievers, you love them. Faith acts by love. You don't swing a stick and tell them how bad they are. You love them and tell them how much God loves them. And then what happens? It breaks something on the inside of them and all the stuff goes away and it changes their life. Love changes, not you changes. Love fixes. And our job is to love. We're going to talk about that next week as we talk about bridging that gap. Talk a little bit about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, I'm telling you, these, these things that we're talking about today, I understand. We talk about Ephesians chapter 5 in a wedding. And you may be thinking, man, this doesn't go with my boss, or this doesn't go with my sister. This is, yeah, but these truths do. <laughs> do you want to submit to them and to love them and to serve them? Heck no. Then there's a problem with that relationship, and it's you. <laughs> I, I don't want to hear that. I, I, this person's vile. They, they make me sick to my stomach. I can't hardly stand to be around them. Well, they're probably a little irritating, and God wants to make a pearl there. It's a Joel Osteen thing. We're going to talk about that too in a couple weeks. Love them. Submit yourself to them. Serve them. Those people, I'm sure, in the Bible who came and questioned Jesus and then badgered him, surely the ones who beat him, but the ones who badgered him along the way, the ones who continually tried to entrap him and to catch him, the ones who were out and didn't like him and didn't enjoy him but were out to snare him into some kind of trap to make him look like a fool. See, I'm sure those people were irritants to him. And he probably could have just smote them all. He probably could have just went, and they would have just, that would have been it. Talk about Darth Vader. I mean, he could have done like that, and they would have gone, you know I mean? He could have done all of that stuff, but he chose not to. Why? Because he came to love. He came to love and to provide a way, even for them. Woo. Even for them. 
Now look, because he's our example. Jesus is our example, and we need to love the way that he loved us. Now this, this is a great word today. This is an encouraging word. I don't know where you live, and I don't know what's going on in your house, but I will tell you this. You could be goo-goo-ga-ga, butterflies in the tummy, kind of in love with your spouse. That is a good thing. But we have the purpose in our lives to go home and make love a verb in our life and to spend our life mutually submitting to each other in that relationship. All I'm trying to do today is just kind of clarify some of the stuff. Blow away some of the smoke. Because what happens in our life, we get very good with smoke and mirrors. And I want everybody to understand how bad it is in my marriage and how bad my wife is or how bad my husband is. Or her husband is. That's probably better. Today's world, you can't say it the other way. But, you know, whatever. You know, but, and we, we blow up this thing and, we, we, and we, we've, we, we haven't concocted anything because most of the time it's truth. Most of the time, I am that heinous. Most of the time, I am not loving her and caring about her and submitting to her like, like I'm supposed to. See, I have gone off in my own vein and in my own place and in my own way. And I have said, you know what? We'll just exist. See, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just stay together. Well, is that the kind of abundant life marriage that Jesus is talking about? Is that the kind of abundant life that he's promised us in his word? No. But what's the problem? Me. It says here, again, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 in the NIV, do not do, not do anything. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Now, we understand this in relationships that we have and in, and in situations on this earth. If, if the president came in here today, regardless, really, truly, of what you think of his politics or not, you would stand up, you would be very respectful, and you would understand you are not the most important person in the room. See, when you go to a wedding, I tell people this all the time. They're not here for any of you. Okay? They're here for this girl. I even tell the groom, truthfully, dude, they're not here for you. You're part of the package, and you've got to be here to make this right so it can be about her. That everybody in the room knows when you go to a wedding, who's the most important person? The bride is. To everybody in the room. So we understand what this means. See, we understand that we're going to live in humility, value others above ourselves. We understand that that girl and that day is the most important person, whether I'm related to her or not. Not me marrying her, but me just being there because I know the family. She's the most important person. So we, un we understand that concept. What we have to do is take that concept then and carry it into our house. See, that your spouse is the most important person in this world to you. And if your kids are more important, you're spending more of your time dealing with your kids and taking care of them and helping them become all they want to be rather than helping your spouse become all he or she needs to be, then you've got your things messed up. You got them in the wrong order and you got them in the wrong place. Elizabeth has done a great job with our children and we have raised them and they're great kids and they've done all these things, but she has purposed in her heart for about the last 10 years or whatever, 12 years, 15 years, that, that she would do everything that was in her power to, to make me and help me become all God created me to be. She literally made that decision in, in, her, in, her, in her heart. She made that decision with her mouth and then her actions followed that up all along. She has missed stuff. She has not got to do stuff. She has sacrificed for me, but she has done everything that she she could possibly do to help me become all God wants me to be. And in my life, I lay down my life, I give myself to her, and I'm telling you what, I don't want to be around or help anybody that, that I start right here first. See, we, but we have to make that choice just like you have to make that choice that I will prefer others over myself. See, we have, that gets you completely out of self. But that's about this relationship with Jesus, right? You had to get completely out of you and totally into him. He got completely out of who he, who he was up there, and he came into this earth because of you. That same relationship switch. How do you treat your prized possessions? See, would you tell the bride, oh, come here, honey, correct your posture, get yourself straightened up. You know, we, we don't tell the bride, oh, that's not the way the story went. That's not the way it happened. We don't tell the bride when she's up here, oh, honey, stop smacking your gum. That's just not becoming. 
See, we don't go correct the bride on that day. Why? Because she's the most important person in the world. She is it. And so we're not going to spend our life trying to fix her on that day. We spend our, we spend our day that honoring her for who she is. Yet then when we go home, then we begin to correct and fix and pick on and do all of those things. But it goes on. In verse 4, it says, Not looking to your own interests, but the interests of others. This is fantastic. And this is difficult because really, frankly, truly, we're interested in what we're interested in. This is hard because I'm not interested in what you're interested in. <laughs> That's the way it is. Rachel was telling me about this crazy show she was watching the other day. I said, what is this? What are you watching? She started to tell me. And I've gotten to the point now where I'll say, you know what? I'm not interested. Stop telling me. <laughs> it's not very nice. But she watches some crazy stuff. And I'm not married to her. So I just told her I'm not interested. She knows I love her. But she realized there's too many words for me that day. But here's the problem. See, I am interested what I... And here's the thing. You got together because you were interested in the same things. You didn't realize how opposite you were. You didn't realize how, how uninteresting you really truly were to each other. That's Thursday. Okay? I mean, that, you didn't realize because then you come, you come to me after you've been married about two weeks. You say, look, I don't even know who this person is. Their, their laundry's inside out all the time. It's just freaking me out. I don't understand. They do the toilet paper the wrong way. See, we, we have, see that, that's when we realize that, you know, this isn't working. Her, his, all he wants to do is work on the car. He doesn't want to come in and talk to me at all. Well, duh. He's not interested in that. And that's what you're interested in. Now what you have to do is begin to be interested in those things. Not feigning interest, not faking interest. I watch more HGTV than any man with a man card should watch. Okay, I, I watch Rachel Ray. I, I, I watch all those crazy cooking shows, and I, I watch HGTV, and we just pander on about houses, and oh, isn't that just beautiful? And, I, and it's even gotten to the point now where I kind of like it. I mean, I, I, I kind of do. I watch dumb movies that I hate, and I know how they're going to end. We watched What About Bob last Sunday. What about Bob? I mean, that was like 1987 or something. I, I was, I was, but we watched it. It was a lot of fun. For her. Because that's what she likes. See, she's interested in that. She can tell you more about golf than probably any woman that's not in the LPGA. She knows all about it. She knows who the people are on TV. She knows who those guys are. She knows the rules. She understands the game. Well, her, well, her, her, her daughter played. Yeah, for four years, you're just, you're just hiding your eyes most of that time. You don't even want to watch. She came with me to golf meets, golf matches, rode on the bus with me. She, came, she put other things aside. So that, Why? Because she wanted to be a part of what I was interested in. To the point of having to understand and learn golf. One of the most boring things for people who don't really truly love golf to ever watch on TV. Now, does she knit sometimes when she watches? Sure. But I will tell you this, when somebody's face pops up, she knows most of the time who that is. That shows me she cares about me because she's interested in the things that I'm interested in. She could tile your bathroom. She could probably help build your deck. She can handle a nail gun. She can handle a screw gun. And it's not because she's some kind of tomboy. It's because she's loved me enough to know that when we work on projects, we work together. And here's a little side note in your relationships real quick, and then we'll head to the end. You have, you have a back-to-back -back relationship, shoulder-to-shoulder relationships, or face-to-face -face relationships. And a lot of the times, whether it's marriage or not, you get back-to-back, -back, and there's nothing going to happen back-to-back. -back. You're totally just back-to-back. -back. You're not seeing eye-to-eye. -eye. You're not doing anything together. Shoulder-to-shoulder, -shoulder, you're working together. And a lot of the times in a marriage, you are working together. You've got more kids than you can count, Lori and Joe. So you've got four kids. 
I thought about this the other day, okay? She's the worship pastor. She's got four kids. He, he, he's assistant pastor here in technical and graphic, all those things. He's got four kids. The youth pastors have five kids. I, I, I don't understand their world whatsoever. That's a lot of kids. When I see like half of that, I start getting a little freaked out. We've learned to kind of, you say, well, it's easy. You don't have any kids. Well, and I got all you, so it all works out. But <laughs> See, you end up sharing together. And this is the way men, this is the way men handle relationships. When you come home and your wife asks you questions like, what's going on with them and how are things at their house and how's their wife doing and what, what are they wearing today? You're like, I don't know anything. We handled shovels and we dug a hole. I don't know. But we had a great time and we got stuff done. You know, on, on November 5th, when you go out and you rake leaves and clean eaves, all those guys are going to come home going, man, I did some stuff. Yeah, we did it all together. Woo, we're a team. Wham, wham. And then you go like, what was the guy's name that worked with you? I don't know. Because part of our relationally, the way we relationally interact with each other is in doing something side to side, shoulder to shoulder. And we, we figured that out. She's figured out that if she wants to get close to me, see, if she wants to have a relationship with me that means something to me, she's going to pitch right in and be there with me. Today we're putting sinks in. Yes. And she'll be right there with me, sticking her head up under the sink with me. I'll have to be patient and say, it's great, could you move your head just a second? But she's there with me. And see, men on the other side, women, man, they're all about this face-to-face and this, 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 this conversation and this sharing and the, the intimate feelings and all of those kind of things. So when you come home and say, what'd you do? They just said, we just talked, and it was really wonderful. We just really connected. The dude's going like, you didn't do anything? <laughs> like, what'd you accomplish? Well, nothing. You didn't you solve any problems? No. Oh, so to a guy, see, that just makes them freak out. See, men, if you want to have that intimate relationship with your spouse, then you need to get a little bit more of this face. You have to be able to get from shoulder to shoulder to a little bit more of this face-to-face and be able to communicate, be able to share things back and forth. And if that's freaking you out, that's okay. They love you like Christ loves the church. They have submitted themselves to you because they love you. They want to hear what you have to say and what you think, and they care about it. Well, they'll think I'm stupid. They'll think I'm stupid. No, they won't. That's the enemy. And if you're in that relationship and that's the way you've handled those situations and those differences in interests, then you're wrong and you need to fix that. If your idea of having different interests is the idea like, yeah, I don't like that stuff she does. That just freaks me out. I don't understand it. So when she does that, I go do this. Well, there are times. But if that's your attitude and the direction that you go, eventually you will have a contract and not a covenant in your marriage. Be interested in the things that they're interested in. It says in verse 5 that this is what it takes for us, and then we'll finish. It says, have the same mindset as Christ. Again, it keeps coming back to that. Jesus made our interests his interests. He submitted himself to us and made us his priority. If we want a relationship that's full of love, we're going to have to love our mate as he loved us. That's what it says here. I mean, if you go back and we, we, we go back and we read this again, okay, In in Philippians in chapter 2, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is not a contest. There is not a winner. You are together in this as one. If there's a winner, it's us, not I. See, if there's a winner in marriage, it's us, not I. Why? Because God made you one flesh. And if you're in a contest, and it's a contest of us against the world, and God is with us and he is for us, then who could be against us? And we're going to be victorious. We're going to be victorious. Us, us, us. Not I told you I was right. And I fought this yesterday. I fought this yesterday because her time is different. Elizabeth's time is a little different than the world's time. And I've learned to enjoy that, just like the laundry. And it's good stuff. And I get to talk more probably about those things. I've got a whole list of stuff I'm keeping in my closet. But, but her time is different. And so she had told me that, that we, we, we thought we were going to walk. See, we were going to walk together to Carter's soccer game. And to me, that was like, yes. Her thought is, well, why don't you just walk yourself? Oh, I don't want to walk by myself. I want to walk with you. See, why don't you go to the gym more? Because you're not with me. See, why, why don't you do this more quick? Because I have to do it by myself. And not because I'm a baby, but because I love to share time with you. And so she was going to come home. And I said before, she, I said, oh, that's not going to work, honey. Your time doesn't work. You know what I mean? You have the ladies meeting at 9 o'clock. I just know that's not going to work. So just, it's all right. It's no big deal. No, it was plenty of time. And sure enough, man, about 20 till 12, it takes, it takes about 20 minutes to walk to the soccer game. It started at noon. 
And it was about 20 till 12, and she called and said, well, I'm getting ready to leave. And immediately I wanted to say, see, I told you. Text, you know, don't call her. See, I told you. You couldn't figure. I knew you wouldn't be there on time. See, I wanted to say, I know I'm right. See, I knew it. But I had to preach today. (laughs) And that would not go over well. Because I wanted to do it twice. But both times I had to come back. No, but I love her more than that. What this is doing in my life is it's showing me where I have all these miscomings. Where I, see, I didn't even think that would be that big a deal. But as soon as it happened, I was putting my notes together and thought, holy crud, I just did that. I'm thinking, that's not good. Forgive me. See, you have to be careful because it's a little thing. Because all of a sudden I realized, you know what? I'm like that all the time. I didn't realize it before, but all of a sudden it made that little thing that seemed like no big deal. All of a sudden it was a big deal to me because I realized I do that all the time and that's not honoring her. That's not submitting to her. That's not preferring her. That's me saying I want to be right. You can be right all you want and still be wrong. You can be right all day on paper and be wrong with your mate in the house. And it makes it difficult. It makes it difficult to exist. It makes it, but it's just these, and then it's another barb from her direction to me. And then all of a sudden it's her back. To, then all of a sudden we realize after a few weeks, after a couple months, after a couple years, all of a sudden we're 10 years into this or 15 years into this and the kids have grown and we realize that really the thing that was keeping us together was this shoulder to shoulder working together to get the kids raised and get them out of the house. And then we look at each other and say, who are you? You know, who, 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 who have we become? Now, you, shoulder to shoulder is not a bad thing. Back to back is not good. Shoulder to shoulder is not bad because you're working together in the affairs of this life and the things that God's called you to. That is part of it. If you're, if you're just face to face all the time, you, I mean, you've got to get some stuff done. And you have to work together and you have to try to figure out your strengths and my strengths and what we can do together to get these things taken care of. But if there's not a face-to-face time, if there's not that intimate conversation, if there's not that sharing of your life, if there's not that me preferring you over everything that I want to do or care about, then you go from shoulder to shoulder to back to back and then your relationship ends up a contract and not a covenant. I mean, that's the way that it runs and that's the way that it rolls. And you say, but I can't, help, I can't help it. I want to do that with my spouse, but they don't even care. They're not even paying attention. They don't even, they do all of those things to me. Then love them anyway. Submit yourself to them anyway. Now, I'm not talking about abusive things. And all, I mean, you've got to just be an adult and mature. Enough. I mean, we're not talking about that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, if, if you're in that place, love them. It said they beat Jesus. They kicked him. They punched him, crowned him, hung him on a cross, spit on him. They teased him. They mocked him. See, they did all of these things. The whole time he was on this earth, they were trying to trick him. They, they, were, they were bothered by him. He annoyed them. He stirred something up on the inside of them that made them want to hate him. But he said, I choose to love you. I choose anyway to lay my life down for you. I choose to, no matter what the situation, to love you with all of my heart. I am going to climb up on this tree, and I am going to give myself, because it is the ultimate way for me to make love a verb for us. Now, in our relationship with Christ, that's the way we want to live. We've purposed. We've prayed. Right? We've said, that's who I want to be in my life. That's who I want to be. Then we need to be that in our life, in all of our relationships. Starting with the one that's in your house that you're married to. Because that's the most important thing. If I'm telling you, like I said last week, if this one gets out of whack, it all goes downhill from here. If this one gets haywire, it all falls apart. And we don't do everything right. But we're a whole lot quicker at finding the places and the times where we're not. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't marry her again. I would just do it sooner. I mean, I was 21 when I married her, so I think that was pretty soon. (laughs) But I would have got rid of that other girl a long time ago. (laughs) 
and picked her earlier. <laughs> Some of you who don't know that story, we'll have to tell you that someday. Because that means I get to spend another 22 years with her. You know, I'm looking down the road and thinking, you know, we're 43 years old. 44 next week, two weeks. Anyway, me too. I'm thinking, man, that only gives, see, I think a lot of the times we think, well, God, you know, what are we going to do? We don't have this one. I'm thinking, you know what? I mean, if I go to like the people in my, the people in my, in my, in my lineage live like grandpa's 190. I mean, they live forever. <laughs> but I'm still, th- you know what I'm thinking? That's not enough time. That's not enough time for me to be everything that she needs me to be. I need more time. Why? Not so I can do more. So I, I need more time so that I can, I, can, I, can, I can do everything that she needs me to do. I'm thinking if we could get married again, could we go back in time? Not to change anything, but to have 22 more years. See, that's a different perspective. That's a different thought. But I'll tell you what it is truly to your heart when you're sitting here with your spouse or maybe they're not here. That's a warm thought to your heart because you're thinking, boy, that'd be nice. And you have married, you know, some of you, I'm telling you, we are lucky in this church as young people. I'm including us as young people. We're lucky in this church as young people to have such wonderful mentors in the marriage relationship that we have. People who love each other and have purpose to, to, to be together, not just to stay together, but to make each other who God wants them to be, to glean from, to learn, and to understand from. You all have been mentors in those areas for many of us in this, in this church, and I can't thank you enough. But I'll tell you, we have these areas and we have these places and we have these thoughts. We have this stuff. I want to tell you that I'm right because I knew you wouldn't make it on time. See, what is it in your life? Where do you go? What is that point? What is that place in your life? See, not not necessarily taking the desires and making them expectations, but now what do I do in my life that isn't saying it's all about you? What am I doing in my life that says I'm not preferring you over me? And that does transfer. The preferring others. It didn't say in the marriage relationship in Philippians 2. It said in your relationships with others, prefer them. We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you've drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I receive the forgiveness for all my sins. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come into my life and empower me to live a victorious life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.